The Guardian. Welcome to the Guardian Children's Books podcast, and we're here with Sally Gardner. Sally, it's the 10th anniversary of your first book, I Coriander, and we're here to celebrate that today. Woohoo! <laughs> and we're here with Patrick, who read I Coriander when it was first published, when he was just seven or possibly eight years old as a little boy. Now he's 17 and a Guardian Children's Book member, well, a teen book site member, actually. So he's got some questions for you, and I'm going to let Patrick take it away. For I Coriander, how much historical research did you have to do? Because I'd never written a children's book before, a historical book, I did an obscene amount of research. I began to know everything there was to know. And then I realised that what this is a bit like is, you know, those people who take lots and lots of pictures of their holiday. And they say, you must see this. Look, this is how they made coffee. And then this was what they... And actually everyone starts going... Oh, yeah, oh, it's really interesting, but not. And then I realised you just got to get rid of the research. And what you got to remember is the eye level of the character you're dealing with. So Coriander starts at five. And really what she's countering is kneecaps, basically, of grown-ups and sort of the chests of grown-ups. So her vision is what interested me. And that's where I then got all my research down to. Would you ever consider writing a follow-up? This has been asked of me unbelievable amount of times. And the thing that I love about books and stories is particularly if they are open enough for you to tell your own story on top of it. And Coriander is one of the ones, I hope, when you're on a long walk and you're a bit bored, you could suddenly think, yeah, she could do that. And I like that idea. So like I Coriander fan fiction. <laughs> You've spoken very openly about being dyslexic and how you feel dyslexia isn't a disability. But do you feel enough is being done to help dyslexic children in school today? No. I think the world is full of good intentions, but I'm afraid I don't think it translates quite as it should be doing. Really, at the moment, we have an education system which is a tick box system in the sense that I don't believe we are working to the strengths of what we have in our students. If you think that we live, let's say we live to 80, round this table, we are going to judge your entire life on the first seven to 16 years of it. We're going to absolutely mark it for life. And I think this is completely wrong. We develop at a different time. We develop at different ages. We have different strengths. We need to educate in a more diverse way in a more understanding of different levels of intelligence, which we don't do. It's immensely difficult. I don't think, just because I'm in the same year as, you know, 60 other students, I'm not at the same level intellectually or creatively. They might not be the same level intellectually or creatively for me. And I just think there should be a different way of doing it, but it's really hard to come up with a new way, a new skill system, really. I think it does need rethinking. I think it needs a visionary thought. I think we have the technology now to make education much more tailored. And we're not working to our strengths. One of the great things this country produces is eccentricity and imagination. And the one thing our education is almost, at the moment, guaranteed to crush is eccentricity and imagination. 
A lot of your books have been centered around different historical eras. Do you prefer to write stories set in the past? Well, what I like about the past is you can't police it. The PC world is so difficult if you're writing for young adults. And you can't alter the past. People smoked. People did things differently. And I like that. I like the freedom it gives you. It's not so strong now, but when I wrote Coriander, there really was a time where actually, without a social worker, a child could hardly have an adventure in a book. And the only really way to do it was to put them into another time or into another land, like in Harry Potter. And I think it's got better that now. I think we've moved away from that a little. But I do love the past. I feel, I feel it's a wonderful mirror for the present to look through. It helps us see where we've come, the journey we've made. And I deal a lot with fairy tale. My stories are all really fairy tales. And in a way, the past is like going into the dark, dark wood for me. Okay. You've said before that some of your ideas come to you in dreams and as visions. Because dreams and visions can be really surreal and quite complicated, do you ever struggle to construct a story out of them? Oh, yeah, oh, my word, yes. I, I get terribly lost. I mean, I have so many ideas that I'm sort of like bubble with them. And then I go completely off track. I'm like one of these people sort of go hiking off on a different mountain and realize I have to come all the way back again because I've sort of started to write another book. And yeah, I, I get very lost and I don't plot. And that is one of the things that drives people, including my editors. So you just start. Yes. And... Make it up as you go along, sort of. I make it up as I go along. And then I have plans, uh-huh. like in Coriander, I had a plan that Hester uh-huh. was going to be horrible. Okay. This was quite easy. She was going to be horrible. Hester turns up in the story with Maud legs, and all she will say is, I be Hester. I be 12 summers old. How old be you? And I just thought, come on, Hester. Think a bit more aggressive. You know, a bit more horrible. Come on. And all she would do is go, I be Hester. A 12 summers. And I thought, I give up. All right, Hester, tell me your story. And she just came spilling out as the character she was. And I loved Hester. When you're writing, do you have a kind of vague endpoint? You know, where you think endpoint. where you think the story <laughs> may end up? Or do uh, you just start with, you know, No, characters? I do have a vague endpoint. Okay. I always describe it like I sort of fire my arrow of the story arc. And I sort of know it's got to hit that tree. And then after that, I lose the arrow completely. I can never find where I found it. And things go a little awry. But yeah, for me, a story is character-based and character-led. And you can have an idea about the situations you're going to put them in. But then you'll find things begin to happen that you didn't actually think about. And they're much more interesting than anything you'd have thought about in the abstract. You've used fairy tales as the springboard for some of your novels. What is it about fairy tales that you find so inspiring? Well, I think they are, I think they're like the beat of the soul. They um, they appeal to our psyche in a very, very profound way. And what they're so brilliant at doing is they seem so simple, and yet you go really deep into them. And one of the stories I had that used to scare the living daylights out of me was Hansel and Gretel. And I would never look at this story because I was so frightened of it. And in the original Grimm's, you begin to realise that it's the mother who asked the children to be taken away and killed. There's no stepmother, so there's no nicety about that one. And I always put it like this to really understand the power of a fairy story. 
A happy child will go on a picnic with a mum and dad and it'll go into a dark, dark wood and it'll say to its mum and dad, I'm going to go off and play. Is that all right? It does go and play. And they find a mouldy old ginger house and it smells rotten. It's horrible. And they're frightened and they think, oh, and just at that moment, mum and dad come and go, you'll never see the gingerbread house again. It's all right, darling. And they take them home. The unhappy child goes into the same clearing. Mummy and daddy don't come and they taste the gingerbread before they're rescued. The traumatised child knows the feel of the witch's bony finger. And I think that is the power of fairy tale, that you can go on so many levels with it. Since I, Coriander was published, you've written books for older readers like Tinder and Maggot Moon, and they have a much darker flavour to them. What encouraged you to tackle novels with kind of grittier themes? I think basically I've got quite a dark, dark mind, really. I think I've, I've wandered so far into that dark, dark wood, I forgot to come out again. <laughs> I've got sort of lost a bit in that. And also, The Tinderbox was, I loved that story when I was a little kid. It was one of my favourite fairy stories. It was just so amoral and so wonderfully naughty. I mean, he gets away with murder. Uh, everything you want to possibly get away with in your life, he manages to do it. I mean, the dogs go and take the princess for three nights. It's so delicious. And then at the very end, the poor princess gets to say absolutely nothing and he bumps off her mum and dad and marries her. And so I thought I wanted to try and tell it again when I did the book of princesses when I was illustrating. And Judith Elliott very sensibly said to me, no, no, leave it and let it simmer in you and see what happens. And then what happened was Cameron made this great announcement that we were going to have a celebration Mm -hmm. of the First World War. I just found that to be an abomination of a word to use about the First World War, when you think so many young men died. And then I thought, how do I tell the story, a sort of anti-war poem in a way, and where could I put it? And I thought of the tinderbox and then of the Thirty Year War in Germany. So that's how it came about. It's been a couple of years since you published Tinder. What are you working on now? I'm doing a children's pitch book. about a bear and I am doing another book in the Wings & Co series which is my fairy detective agency about a cat called Fidget who's six foot and likes to wear very very smart clothes and has wings well he doesn't have wings but fairies have wings (laughs) but they're your size I used to think about fairies is everyone gets it so wrong they're not small pink and fluffy they're sort of tall and can be policemen Scotland Yard it's rather difficult if you've got a pair of wings and you're sergeant detective at Scotland Yard. But anyway, no, I love doing those ones. They're great fun. They're sort of like Agatha Christie for eight-year-olds. Well, it's been a huge pleasure to listen to you and talk to you. I'm sure Patrick will agree with me. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> For more great downloads, go to theguardian.com slash audio.